Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It's your local community radio station. My name is Andy and I will be with you for the next hour. I'm coming to you this week from Berry Country in sort of central Queensland um, and up here. This has been the location or one of the locations of one of Australia's biggest environmental campaigns over the last decade, the fight against the Adani coal mine. And uh, unfortunately, despite a lot of incredible efforts from people trying to protect our planet, Adani's mine has been built. And it's now time for a lot of us who have been involved to think about what are the lessons learned from this campaign and where do we go from here. Of course, um, the climate doesn't uh, the fight to protect our climate doesn't stop just because one mine's been built. Every little bit of uh, carbon emissions that can be stopped will make climate change a little bit less bad. And so we've got to keep going. But hopefully we can learn some lessons from all the work that's been done in recent years. And I think it's very important to reflect on these things. So I'm happy to be doing that on today's show. And I think it's also good to talk about strategy of how we create change. So often our media is full of things that are bad or occasionally we might talk to, especially here in the paradigm shift, we talk to people that are trying to do good. But I think it is really valuable to talk about how do we make change? If there's, you know... In the case of climate change, a lot of Australians that care a lot about this issue, how do we mobilise that into real power that can change things? And so that's a bit of what we hope to talk about on the show and reflect on um, how we've been doing it over recent years and how we can maybe do it better. Uh, I speak first to Moira Williams, who uh, is part of Tipping Point, an organisation that was instrumental in the Stop Adani campaign. Then I'll speak to Christian Slattery from Market Forces about some of the corporate campaigning that was a real um, development, I think, in how we make change over the course of the Adani campaign. And then I'll speak to Alice from Frontline Action on Coal about uh, the blockading aspect, the direct action, how that could have been done better and how we'll go forward with that. So stick around. It will be a very informative show, I promise you. And let's start off by hearing from Moira Williams. Uh, my name's Moira Williams. I'm an organiser with Tipping Point, a collective of Friends of the Earth. 
So Tipping Point um, is one of many environmental groups and individuals around the country who over the last half a decade or a bit more have been uh, working on the Stop Adani campaign. It's been one of the big climate campaigns in Australia. What's been your personal involvement in this campaign? Uh, I moved to Mackay and worked with Mackay Conservation Group in 2014 when I first heard about the plans to expand the Galley Basin and with massive expansions across the Great Barrier Reef coastline and the mines themselves. And so, yeah, a, a variety of kind of paid and unpaid roles working on um, everything from stopping those coal port expansions to um, supporting groups in the Stop Adani campaign for the last three to four years. So supporting and connecting local groups in their communities to take action to to stop the Adani mine. Now, there's lots to be said about that campaign, um, but I guess at the end of the day, it didn't stop the Adani mine, which is now operational. I, I guess briefly, I mean, what's your assessment of that campaign? Yeah, I think, um, you know, right now there's lots of conversations happening about that. Obviously, we together we did make it a national campaign. And I think by the end, you know, Adani, Stop Adani movement was really in the nation's consciousness and became a powerful symbol for resistance to the coal industry, you know, with good reason. It was one of the few... Um, untapped coal reserves on the planet that you know our our government was backing uh to dig up so there was you know it became quite a powerful um yeah flashpoint in in the in the campaign across the globe to end coal obviously yes it's you know it at the end of the day we're up against a very well-backed billionaire um, a man who's become the the richest man in india and had a lot of resources as well as government backing at all levels um, and so we were truly up against it when it came to finally stopping that individual project but there's been huge wins along the way um, you know 10 years ago when we were looking at those the expansion of the galley basin there was a lot of coal port expansions at abbott point and Mackay, and a lot of those have well all of them have not gone ahead and right now it's looking like you know we've done enough to delay and toxify this project and push enough companies away and have enough resistance on the ground that the other mines slated for the Galilee Basin are also either stalled or cancelled. So I think ultimately we did not, you know, hashtag stop Adani, but we have significantly delayed um, that project by over eight years. They still have not... Um, you know, it's going to be a much downscale project from the 60 million tonnes that um, it's likely to be much smaller. And we've definitely likely, st <laughs> we've likely stopped a lot of those other projects. Um, so it's yeah important to reflect on the bigger mission, I think, of keeping Galilee coal in the ground. Along the way, we've also, you know, had big wins across the broader coal industry. So I think around half the companies that have ruled out the Adani coal mine have also um, developed broader coal policies to rule out um, mining in thermal coal. Uh, and so that's a significant shift in the industry. And so I think, again, the Stop Adani campaign has been a flashpoint to, 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 to push companies to have better policies on climate and coal. It's one of the things about the, the strategy of this campaign, I guess, that some people might have questioned 
um, the fact there's a lot of coal mines in Australia, a lot in Queensland and even this part of Queensland. And so much effort and energy went into the Adani mine while others were being, you know, expanded, approved. I mean, mm. what was the reasoning behind just targeting Adani? And do you think that that was a, a good decision? Mm. Yeah, really legitimate questions, um, especially in Queensland when there is so much coal and gas um, being developed. I think, you know, I don't think we ever felt like this was, you know, we didn't predict the the, the scale of this uh, campaign and movement when it, when it started off. I guess the reasoning was because the Galley Basin alone in its emissions was, was hugely significant, um, you know, and... And there has to be, you know, drawing a line in the sand around new coal basins and new coal mines we felt was particularly important. And, you know, in the early days it was a broader sort of fight for the reef campaigns, lots of organisations focusing on the Galilee. As it narrowed, it became clear that the only way other companies were going to get into the mining in into mining the basin was if Adani could build the railway line, which is why the focus on... Um, Adani was important to stop those other companies getting in. Um, I think, yeah, it has real benefits in being able to tell a really clear, powerful story and capture the hearts and minds of people. And people love a villain and they love that fight against one villain. It's a very simple story to tell. And I think that's why there was so much movement momentum. And the challenge is now how we take that movement momentum and uh, use it to, to, to have broader impact on the industry. And a lot of the other expand, you know, a lot of the mines in Queensland, we do still have new greenfield, like new mines, and a lot of expansions happening. So that's a really important question about how we take lessons from the campaign to fight some of those other mines. You at Tipping Point um, are one of many environmental NGOs around the country, and uh, since especially since the Liberal government's been in power. There's been quite an attack on NGOs and environment NGOs in particular. And I guess the threats to taking away the uh, tax-deductible status of, of NGOs if they were involved in any law-breaking activity sort of in some ways hobbled these groups when it came to using some of the tactics the environment movement has up its sleeve. What do you think has been the effect of that on, on this movement? Mm. Yeah, it's concerning when we see these attacks and the latest changes to the laws, I think, made organisations pretty risk-averse around supporting any kind of, um, yeah, boulder activities on the ground, let's say, or protest activities. And, um, you know, that relates to both nonviolent direct action but also, like, pointy political work where you're... Um, you know, trying to push for particular candidates to get into power. So I think there's DGR status. Yes, a lot of organisations, they'll only get funded if they can collect donations um, that are tax deductible. So that constrains organisations. And when they know they're under the, you know, watch of the ACNC who and the Liberal governments who are looking, breathing down their necks and saying, well, is that really in line with your... Um, purpose, and we know that those attacks are ideological and opposed to, you know, peaceful protests. So I think it has had an impact in the um, ability of those organisations to support, in particular, action on the ground. 
Um, and it's important that as a movement, we're standing up to those attacks. We're defending um, our right to peacefully protest. Are there any other thoughts, I guess, about lessons learned about tactics or strategy that have come from from this long campaign? Yeah, I mean, maybe it points back to your earlier point around making a, a why the focus on one company. I do feel like that had the benefit of, a, as I say, like a single focus. It has the downside of perhaps, yeah, we aren't looking elsewhere, but it did really it was really useful for focusing movement pressure. And I think we showed through the campaign that if we're coordinated as a movement, we can really have significant wins. Like you look at the $1 billion NAIF loan um, that the, so the federal government wanted to give Adani a billion dollars. The Queensland government had the power to stop or veto that loan. And at the start of that campaign, that particular push, you know, we had MPs telling us you know, they couldn't veto the loan. There's no way they were going to do it. Um, we had strategists telling if it wasn't possible. And I think through a concerted community campaign right across the country that, you know, raised concerns about the, pu- the public money going to coal, um, we did do the impossible, which was, you know, force the Queensland government to rule out the loan. So I think the lesson there is that when you, you know, when you work to get the public on side particularly as we did around you know maybe we didn't get the whole public on side particularly in central queensland around supporting you know stopping the mine but we did get the the broader queensland public on side around the ability to say no to taxpayer dollars propping up you know a, 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 a billion dollar mining magnet who wants to build a coal mine so i think there's important lessons there around you know, we need to build public support for our demands. And when we do, we are more successful. But also as a movement, when we're targeted, when we're coordinated, when we all push at once, we can have really significant wins. And I thought, I think we saw that time and time again through the, the campaign to push individual companies out of the project. You know, groups like Galley Blockade really pioneering um, the work to push contractors out of the project, I think is... I've never seen anything like that work done and, and their campaign to get down or out of the project meant that Adani then had to, you know, cobble together a whole bunch of subcontractors that, with, that did shoddy work, that slowed them down, that cost them money, that you know, pushed up their insurance premiums and all of this has come out in the court case with Ben Pennings. That, so I think a lot of those grassroots groups have really pioneered tactics that we haven't used as a, as a coal anti-coal movement before you know whether that's pushing insurance companies pushing contractors um and there's real yeah real opportunities in how we use those new tactics to focus on other coal companies and end coal mining in australia Mm. well sounds like good segue to talk (laughs) about what comes next after the adani campaign Yeah, well, I imagine lots of groups are thinking about where to next and, you know, all those lots of different groups have been involved in this campaign and, you know, they may go off and focus on different things. Um, But as tipping point, we're starting to have conversations around, yeah, what, where is the power of the existing Stop Badani movement and that local group network best placed? And, you know, we're seeing big opportunities to use those lessons, as I said, to focus on some of the key pillars of 
corporate support for the industry. So being finance, you know, we know um, there's six banks in Australia that largely finance the coal um, industry here. It's one of the top big, the, the big four. Um, and we know there's a small number of contractors that pretty much prop up all those projects as well. So big opportunities to continue to use those lessons to get bigger wins across the industry, not just getting them to push out, say, the Adani mine, but push push them to rule out working with all coal companies. Um, I also think, yeah, we've, we've learned big lessons around, you know, standing in solidarity with affected communities. And I think, in you know, there has been a lot of critique around the Stop Adani campaign, not engaging enough with local communities that were affected and... Um, that was always a big blocker uh, uh, to getting more action on this campaign is that we didn't have local community support, you know, and big questions around transitioning coal communities away from coal. And so I think with a broader campaign, we really need to look at how we centre um, this idea of justice for communities across the world that are in being impacted by coal, you know, whether from you know the Wangan and Jangalingu people who right now are resisting on country and fighting for their own justice and to get land back um, and to protect the Dungalala Springs to you know communities that are living in the places where the Australian coal is being burnt and they're suffering the impacts of pollution. You know, to our friends in the Pacific who are fighting for their lives um, because of the impacts of climate change driven by Australian coal. And so we really want to tell that story and have that much more front and centre because I think as as climate, you know, as these floods have shown, like climate change is here and now, the impacts are getting worse and worse and uh, there's a real opportunity to start to talk more about the the people that are impacted by these um you know by the australian coal industry propped up by banks that we give our money to and propped up by particular insurance and contracted companies so yeah i think huge opportunities to unite all of those communities facing those impacts um to say it's no longer fair or just that a small number of people make billions of dollars when so many communities lives are at risk so Tipping Point has a, um, I guess, a campaign they've been talking about beyond coal. I guess if people are interested in finding out more mm. about that, how can they do that? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I don't. I think people hate the name Beyond Coal. So yeah. when that's not the name. <laughs> We've got to work out the name. Yeah, we, we had an online webinar recently, um, which happy to send to anyone uh, if you email us at info at stopadani.com that is starting that conversation about really where to from here. Um, and in terms of the key next steps, like you can sign up to the Stop Adani database for now and we'll definitely send you updates of where to next. We'll probably continue those conversations as we start to shape up the campaign. Um, but there's also important opportunities for people to stand in solidarity, the Wangan and Jangalingu people who, as I said, Cody McAvoy is leading the Wadanangu ceremony out on country, um, continuing to protect his land and, and fight for uh, their sovereignty. So their website is standingourground.org.au. Um, they have an important legal challenge against 
the Queensland government at the moment for um, destroying their sacred sites. So there's lots of important work to donate to their campaign, to head out to Watanangu or head out to the Tour de Carmichael, which is an amazing bike ride into the mine site at the end of May. And all of that info is on their website, standingourground.org.au as well. Okay. Thanks very much, Moira. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, Andy. That was Moira Williams from Tipping Point, who one of the organisations who did a lot of the planning and work around Stopadani, just reflecting on how that campaign went, what we learnt and what is next. And, of course, the climate movement doesn't stop um, with the Adani mine being built, which is why I'm making this show. Now, there's uh, plenty of other groups that were working on the um, Adani campaign as well as Tipping Point. One of them is Market Forces, who have a very interesting role. They um, are in the business world, are researching what companies are involved in the fossil fuel industry and are trying to lobby those companies out of it, trying to use financial markets to pressure companies to do the right thing environmentally. And I spoke with Christian Slattery from Market Forces to talk to him about the Adani campaign and about what's next. Uh, my name is Christian Slattery. I'm a campaigner at Market Forces. And the Adani campaign, it's been a, a big environmental campaign over the last decade or most of a decade. What's been your personal involvement in it? Yeah, so I worked with the Australian Conservation Foundation for about three years uh, on the Stop Adani campaign. And actually my first kind of foray into environmental activism was um, turning up to some of the banks' protests while I was a university student um, and rallying outside their offices to get them to divest. And I, I think that's, you know, sort of testament to how successful the campaign has been in building a really big and bold movement of people who want to take action on the climate crisis and move Australia beyond coal. And Market Forces, can you tell us a bit about what it does as an organisation? Yeah, so Market Forces is an environmental advocacy organisation. We uh, focus on financial institutions that are funding environmentally destructive projects like the Carmichael Coal Mine. Um, we've been around since about 2013. We're an affiliate of Friends of the Earth Australia. And, yeah, our work is really focused on um, exposing financial institutions like banks and superannuation funds that are funding fossil fuels and working with the community to hold them accountable for that funding. It has been one of the big, I think, tactical developments in the Adani campaign, this way of targeting sort of third-party um, finance companies or uh, contractors who might work on the mine. Is that how it feels at market forces that this uh, campaign sort of forged a bit of new ground? Yeah, I think that's right, Andy. I think, you know, some of the biggest successes of the Stop Adani campaign have been in getting financial institutions in particular to rule out investment in the project and, you know, introduce broader coal policies as well. We've obviously, well, we saw that with the big four Australian banks back in 2016, uh, 17. And then, you know, uh, as you'd be, you and your listeners would be very familiar, um, we've seen a whole slew of um, dozens and dozens of companies ruling out involvement in the Carmichael Coal Project. Um, and I think I saw the other day we're up to 112 
companies now, which is just an incredible testament to the really tireless grassroots activism of thousands of people across this country um, taking action on banks and insurers and contractors and a whole lot of other companies um, telling them not to get involved in this toxic project. Yeah, it's certainly not usual commercial practice to make a statement saying you're not going to take a contract. I mean, it really does show the effects of the the campaign against Adani that all these companies felt that they had to do that. Yeah, I think it's a testament to, um, you know, how strong the opposition to Adani has been, you know, led by the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owners uh, and then, um, you know, joined by many, many thousands of people across this country who see this project as an absolute, you know, litmus test of Australia's commitment to taking action on climate change. Um, And it's, you know, it's wonderful that um, that activism has taken place and so many other coal projects that were proposed in the Galilee Basin have stalled or been cancelled. Um, some of the big infrastructure that was planned for development along many of the ports and rail lines in the Galilee Basin uh, has been stopped. And the Adani coal project itself uh, is no longer progressing at the size that uh, was originally planned. And, th- and that is really a wonderful outcome of the campaign that I think, you know, we should really hold on to and, and, and take to other companies uh, and, um, you know, use use the lessons of this campaign to um, take on other companies that are, you know, proposing many other destructive fossil fuel projects. Yeah, and the big win really is Adani never got a loan from a financial organisation and have had to self-finance the mine, which has limited the size that they can build um, as well as the other infrastructure that they can build. Um, and even though the mine's built, that is a quite a significant uh win in reducing how much coal they can burn yeah it's been a um yeah the 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 fact that they've had to self-finance this project um is a demonstration of how effective the campaign has been in stopping private sector involvement in the in in the company and in the project um and as i understand it that extends now to insurers as well that um, Adani are having a lot of trouble finding insurance for their um, for their disastrous coal project, um, and again, that's that's because the Stop Adani campaign has effectively um, held up the toxicity of the Adani coal project to insurers in Australia, in Europe, in the UK, um, and said your reputation is on the line if you become involved in this project. So. Uh, looking forward then for market forces in the work that you do uh, within the the corporate sector around the environment. Uh, what comes next after Adani? Yeah, well, I think the it's an interesting time to be having this conversation. Obviously, the um, United Nations um, published their latest environment uh, and climate report um, last week, um, the IPCC report. And I think that the UN Secretary General really hit the nail on the head when he said in releasing that report that some government and business leaders are saying one thing but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. And I think that really crystallises 
where we're at with a lot of the um, statements by financial institutions in this country. We have Australia's big four banks all saying they support the Paris Agreement and the goals um, of limiting temperature rise, global warming to 1.5 degrees. They say they support the goal of achieving net zero emissions globally by 2050, yet all of those banks are continuing to loan billions of dollars to companies and projects that are expanding the fossil fuel industry. Um, and so when they say that what they are doing is saying one thing about taking climate action and doing another by continuing to finance uh, the very projects that are contributing to this problem. So what we need from the big four banks is for them to actually stay true to their word and stop funding fossil fuel expansion projects and the companies that are building them as well. So if people are interested in finding out more about what Market Forces does or they're interested in getting involved in that kind of corporate activism, how can they find out more? Sure. The best way to get involved uh, would be just to visit our website, www.marketforces.org.au. And yeah, you can jump online, learn more about our work, register us to support our campaigns and we'll keep you updated and we'd love to have you on board. Okay. Thanks very much, Christian. Thanks, Andy. You are listening to The Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. Um, we were talking with Christian Slattery from Market Forces and about their role in the Adani campaign and their plans for what's next. And the last interview I have is with Alice from Frontline Action on Coal, as well as other direct action groups. Um, And we talked about that aspect of the campaign, the blockading, the locking onto machines, how that went and what's next for climate direct action in this country. My name's Alice and I've been involved in direct action around Australia for the past six or seven years. Um, About five years ago I first came up to what was Camp Nudja back then, now it's Camp Bimbi, to be involved in the kind of front line of blockading Adani Um, and I've been back and forth in and out for the last five years and I'm also involved in direct action in other parts of the country. So direct action was um, a big part of the Adani campaign over yeah, the last what, eight years. Um, both in cities there were blockades and as well as plenty here on the front line, you know, directly stopping work on the Adani line. I guess what's your assessment about you know, the effectiveness of direct action as part of this campaign? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think it's definitely really, really important. I mean, we haven't won the campaign. Um, we have less of a loss than we otherwise would. The mine, the Adani mine's a lot smaller than it otherwise would be. But, but I think direct action's definitely added to um, yeah, growing the movement, getting more people involved, and costing Adani and its contractors lots and lots of money. So I think it's been really useful, yeah, both in the... Um, bringing attention to the issue, um, costing the companies money, therefore making it harder for them to actually do the destructive project, um, as well as empowering people from all over the country. Because one of the most beautiful things about living at Camp Bimby is you see what happens when somebody arrives and realises that they don't need to ask anymore. They might have signed some petitions or talked to their MPs, but they can actually sit down 
in front of the construction or in front of a coal train or help someone to do that, um, while at the same time making collective decisions together and creating a world that is much more democratic and just. So for me, that's one of the been the most important parts of a kind of direct action blockade is, yeah, showing people what the world could be like and empowering people in that way. What do you think have been some of the hindrances that made direct action maybe not as effective as it could have been? Um, well, one of the biggest is, you know, the mines built in central Queensland. It's so far away from, you know, big cities. It gets so, so hot in the summer, which is really hard from those of us from the southern states to kind of enjoy being out here. Um, and so, yeah, it's quite inaccessible, whereas other blockades, you know, and direct action has been easier to get to. Um, I think as well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been a lot harder not having a lot of the kind of public-facing groups talk about direct action and normalise it across the movement. Um, so there's obviously been Flack and Galilee Blockade and others, Galilee Rising and others that um, talk about the direct action and frontline, but a lot of the kind of mainstream Stop Adani groups from the start um, haven't been able to talk about it and, you know, use their numbers to inform people that there is an actual blockade because that was something that I was always surprised living in Melbourne at some points and some people hadn't even heard, like, of the front line that there was a blockade. They've been part of Stop Adani groups for a while and so I think that was one of the hindrances that it just wasn't that well known or that well resourced to get people up here. Um, because in the end of the day, we just didn't have the numbers to disrupt enough. So I did talk to Moira um, about, mm. yeah, I guess deductive recipient status and the mm. way the government has really hobbled um, some of the tactics that we have for change. And, and that has been a story of this campaign, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's been absolutely huge. And one of the things that we saw... Yeah, when Extinction Rebellion came into being and I think one of the reasons that so many people jumped on board that because it was a public escalated campaign that a lot, you know, that a lot of people weren't finding in the regular NGO kind of campaigns. So I think that showed that there is an appetite that people have. They're so frustrated at the lack of climate action and so people are willing to take that sort of direct action. But people just didn't know about it or didn't have the resources to get up here, which is such a shame. And it has been different for other blockades in the past where um, NGOs have been able to help out more. Mm. So, I mean, this campaign for direct action at least, I think we, we're done with Adani, um, the mine's built. And, but there will be other ones. Um, climate change isn't going away, and sadly, nor is coal mining in Australia. Mm. And so, what do you think are some of the lessons that have been learnt from this campaign to take into future ones? Well, maybe, yeah, more strategic thinking and more kind of face to face collaboration spaces with all parts of the movement to talk about, you know, if we are, and I think we will have more coal mine blockades because they can and have been reasonably effective, that we need kind of more spaces to talk about how to get that to work. You know, one thing that I've been talking about with some people is how, yeah, 
having a coal mine blockade in central Queensland in the middle of coal country, you, you know, the frontline group um, can, you know, go and try and do community engagement and talk about and try and get people on side as much as possible, but you kind of need other groups to do that work instead of, you know, what is often seen as the ferals that are getting in the way of their work. And so building complementary strategies between different groups on the ground, I think could have been really, really useful for this campaign, because at the end of the day, of course we have some local heroes, supporters that are amazing, but most of the community, you know, Adani has won <laughs> the local support in heaps of ways. Um, and yeah, getting better co communication across the groups, which might have helped kind of, you know, NGOs be able to support in more ways. Um, but yeah, we also need more numbers and that's the ongoing ever <laughs> question that we, you know, nobody's really worked out a really good solution. You know, how do we get thousands of people at a blockade mm -hmm. camp? I mean, they did it at Bentley, so we can learn from that, but not all blockades are in the Northern Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess looking forward, where does the direct action movement against coal go from here? What things are currently existing or might come into being? Um, I'm not really sure about current um, stopping of coal, you know, on the front line, apart from what's going on near Wollongong, which I'm excited to learn more about. Um, but yeah, in particular, in particular with coal, I'm not sure, but I know that there's more kind of systemic, broader reaching groups that are trying to fight fight for climate action and fight for a better future. You know, people might have heard of Blockade Australia. They've been, you know, really trying to stick a stick in the cog of the status quo and bring attention to the crisis. Um, and I'm more personally involved in a group called Blockade IMARC, which is fighting against the International Mining and Resources Conference, which happens in Melbourne each year. Um, it's the biggest mining conference in Australia. It brings, you know, CEOs, miners, you know, all sorts of people from all over the world together to network and make deals and talk about how to dig more things out of the ground. And so it, it, it's not focused on coal because one of the interesting things about IMARC is they've really pivoted with the renewable energy conversation and are trying to position mining as the hero of the transition. Um, but what we're learning is, yeah, we definitely need to get out of coal and fossil fuels, but we can't just replace that, you know, growing energy source and growing con consumption with renewables because that will also tip us over in terms of climate change as well as destroy land, water and life. So there's another space that I think people, you know, there's definitely overlap to fight against mining, you know, coal and all other sorts. So that's that yearly conference will keep going and hopefully the resistance will grow to it um, as well as a story of what a more positive future can be because I think that's something that could help blockading be more effective is pairing the no with what do we actually want, you know, where does it exist and how can we help it grow. Yeah, which is I guess the other side of direct action, it's not mm. all getting in the way, direct action is about doing, you know, not mm. waiting for permission but going and making things. Yeah, exactly. And how we relate to each other in building a new world and 
all of those really, really important conversations. Mm. All right. Thanks very much, Alice. No problem. On the paradigm shift, that was Alice there from Frontline Action on Coal talking about all the blockading, civil disobedience, nonviolent direct action that has happened in the Adani campaign. And many hundreds of people have been arrested over the last eight years or so in campaigns against finance companies, um, against contractors, and indeed stopping work on the construction of Adani's mine and railway. And I think like the other people that we talked to today, Christian and Moira, I think there's a a lot to celebrate about all that work um, and all those people that Um, connections that were made and the transformation that happened in all those people over that time even though ultimately Adani's mine has been built but uh, we need to learn from these things if we're going to have movements that can make a better world we need to be able to reflect on what we've done and um, what we did well uh, which there are many things in the Adani campaign what we could have done better um, and that's hopefully some of the things that we've talked about today and and where we can go from here so if you are listening and um, been inspired then there'll be another campaign that you can be involved in I promise and it will need all hands on deck because we have an immense task ahead of us to try to stop disastrous climate change as the most recent IPCC report came out earlier this week um, again <laughs> uh, reiterated to us so uh, get out there and get in board um, frontline action on coal or block eyed eye mark uh, tipping point and the stop Adani local groups and market forces they'll all keep going and they'll all be um, targeting other aspects of the fossil fuel industry and of course the uh, Adani campaign is not over yet um, Wangan and Jagalingu people are still out at on Adani's mine lease. They've got their Watanungu ceremony and they've been there for now well over 200 days camped out. It's an incredible feat through the extremely inhospitable summer weather of central Queensland. And it's been a really powerful demonstration of culture. One more step in the long resistance of Wangan and Jagalingu people to the Adani mine and, in fact, of Aboriginal people in this country uh, trying to resist the destruction in all kinds of ways of the natural world and, and this country on which we rely. And so you can still keep an eye on Wangan and Jagalingu um, on social media, on what they're up to. As Moira said, there is a tour de Carmichael coming up. You can join them. And I think I myself have spent a lot of time on the Adani mine and it's been a, a mixed emotions thinking back over it. There's a lot of sadness and I think a, it is a reality check. of the, There has been an incredible movement and um, a lot of work going into it and yet we're still not able to stop it. We are fighting its very powerful interests who, despite the the craziness of what they're doing, um, knowingly destroying our climate, uh, they're still managing to do it. And so there's a lot of sadness there, but there's also a lot lot to be thankful for, incredible efforts from all kinds of amazing people, and it's 
really special to be a part of a movement like that. And of course, what can we do? Uh, the alternatives to sit and watch while our world gets destroyed and it doesn't sound too exciting to me and so I won't be giving up. See you next week.